welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. God bless you. Please grab your seats. I've asked Fiona and Jen just to stay up here as I preach this morning because I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to say, but we're going to start. Anything could happen this morning. I've got a message. I might get through it. I might not. I might start it. I might not. But I think a little bit of keyboard in the back. Do you guys need a seat? We can get you a seat. But then again, I'm standing. So if I can stand, you can stand. But if you need a seat, just, just do whatever you've got to do. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your presence in this place, for your Holy Spirit. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would minister to us and speak to us and bring to our attention what's on your heart and your agenda for this morning. I give you my notes, I give you my thoughts, and I ask that your hearts, your words would be conveyed this morning. And I pray that you would grant us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to read to you a portion of Scripture found in Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses talks about Jesus standing at the lake of Gennesaret with a crowd of people around him listening to the word of God. He saw, uh, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put it a little out from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to Simon, sorry, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. We're continuing our series on identity. This is week five. I think the teaching's been pretty good. There's been some humour. There's been some teary moments and there's been everything in between. But this whole series comes down to one question for me. 
at the end of the day, this whole series comes down to this one question and I want to present it now. The question I have for you based upon this series that you've been listening to is this. Do you believe what God says about who you are? This whole series comes down to this thing. Do you believe it? I spoke last week about the fact that you have been adopted, which is an incredible truth. It's amazing. It means that we've been born into God's family. It means that we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. It means that we own the whole estate. You know, when I married Kath, it's not like she owns half our house and I own half the house. No, together we own the whole lot. And in Christ, we own the whole estate. What an incredible truth. And it is that. It's true. It's an incredible truth of who we are in Christ. But here's the kicker. It's not what you know. I mean, it starts with knowledge. But the question is not what you know. It's do you believe it? I grabbed a hold of one of our, one of our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful young girls at this church. Straight after the service. And I grabbed you and I said, sweetie, I want you to know, you are an absolute delight. You are an absolute treasure. You are an absolute pleasure. And she responded like this. No, I'm not. And my heart at that moment broke. Because I realise it's not how funny I am. It's not how amazing I look. It's not how well I present the Word. It's not whether I've got an iPad old one or an iPad 2, a new one. Those things are not going to get the truth across. At the end of the day, that comes down to you and God. At the end of that, it comes down to what do you believe about what God says about you? That's where the victory is. The Bible says that you and I are in Christ and we are complete as a result, which means we are filled full. That we have all we need for life and godliness. If that is true, we should live differently than what we believe determines how we live. And for this beautiful girl, and she's beautiful to look at, she's beautiful in every way. And she says, no, I'm not. And I thought, you know what? There's nothing more I can do for her. Oh, I can continue to encourage her, which I will. I can continue to pray for her and I will. But all my prayers and all my encouragement alone will not change a thing until her believing changes. See, there's no such thing as unbelief. Do you know that? We all believe something. There's only right believing or wrong believing. There's no such thing as unbelieving. We all believe something. Every one of us in this room today believes in something. Whether it's right or whether it's wrong, we determine, it's determined by what we're actually believing. You know, God has no trouble in believing in us, but we have so much trouble believing in Him. He who is finite, or sorry, infinite, has no trouble believing in us, finite beings. And yet we who are finite have all sorts of troubles believing in this infinite sovereign providential God doesn't make sense. 
Church is full today of unbelieving believers. See, when we say I'm a believer, that is not a noun to describe who we are. I'm a believer. And I wouldn't leave her. Had to go there because that song was already in half of your heads. Glenn, I can see Glenn. I wish we had a thousand Glens. I do. Just be, just. It's not a noun. I'm a believer. It's a verb. It's not a naming word. It's a doing word. That's what we learned in primary school. Remember that. Nouns, naming words. I'm a believer. No, it's a verb. It's a doing word. It's an action word. It should depict how we live our lives. Believers believe in God and what He says about them and what He says about their future and what He says about their destiny and what He says about their purpose. We have to stop letting people, possessions, problems and the past define us. That is what this whole series is about. It's about us putting all those uh, distractions aside, all the people's opinions, all the problems, all the possessions, those things don't define you. Your past does not define you. You may have had a terrible upbringing. You may have been sexually abused, but those things do not have to define who you are. That's what this whole series is about. When I was growing up, I I, I grabbed a hold of this little phrase. I know it it almost sounds corny. It almost sounds cheesy. But I want to tell you, it went into my spirit. It went into my heart and it changed the way I think forever. And it's simply this. I am who I am says I am. And I grabbed a hold of that truth. I know it sounds corny, but I tell you, there's something about that that resonates in my heart. It resonates in my mind. It resonates in my soul that I am. Who I am says that I am. I believe that with all my heart. I do. You know, when Peter, based upon the story we've just read, or the account of his life that we've just read, was in the boat, Jesus said to him, Peter, I want you to put your boat out into the deep and I want you to drop your nets. And Peter is the fisherman. Jesus is not the fisherman. He's the carpenter. This is going against Peter's better judgment. I mean, I'm sure within Peter's life and heart, there must have been this thought, what would you know about fishing, Mr. Carpenter? Hey, this is not a table, this is fish. I, fisherman, you, carpenter, me, expert, you, novice. And as a professional fisherman, I want to tell you something, Mr. Carpenter. It's morning. Fishermen, professional fishermen, fishermen that know what they're doing, they fish at night because that's when the fish are there. You're asking me, the professional, who has laboured and toiled all night and caught nothing, to go against my better judgment and to fish in the daytime when there is no fish. You want me to do that, Mr. Carpenter. And Jesus looks at Mr. Fisherman and says, yes, that's right. 
And this is what I love about Peter. I mean, Peter gets a bad rap more often than not. He was a guy who sank. But we forget that he walked on water before he sank. He was one who disowned Jesus. But we forget that he was the only one who was close enough to Jesus to disown him. Everyone else had ticked off. I love Peter. And Peter, the hardened professional fisherman that he was, says this. Mr. Carpenter, though it makes no sense to me whatsoever, I will do it because you said so. Because you say so, I'll do it. You've got to catch this this morning. Peter the professional goes against his better judgment because he believes in the one who said to do something. He's not only a believer by noun, he's a believer by verb. He's a believer by doing. And the incredible thing is, from that moment on, things happened for Peter because of his because you say so moment. Because you say so. See, here's the thing about following God. It's not about getting God. It's not about reducing the bigness of God into the smallness of your thinking so that you can understand before you do anything. That is not faith. That is reason. Faith trusts. Faith believes. Faith understands. And Peter says, because you say so, I will do it. And they caught such a large number of fish because he acted upon the word because you say so. That's where the power is. Well, we still debate about whether I'm good enough or whether I'm too smart or whether I'm this or whether I'm that. I don't understand it. I don't fully get it. You're not meant to get God. It's about trusting Him. We are not here to try to get God. I want to tell you this. We see but in a mirror dimly. And if we had a thousand years here on planet Earth, we would still see but in a mirror dimly. We will never get God. It's not our call. It's not our purpose or destiny in life to get God. Our calling is to help people because we trust God. And the trust that we have in Him brings a hope and a joy and a peace to the people that we meet. That's why we're here. I don't get it. And I sense and I see and I feel prophetically that there are people like Peter who are toiling in their own strength all night and catching nothing. Trying to earn money. I'm working 24-7. How insane is that? I work so hard for all that I've got. But we lose out on our family. We lose out on our health. 
just to say we've got a few possessions. When God speaks, the onus on us is now, do we believe it? When he says, you are accepted, do you believe it? Do you truly believe that you are accepted? Because when you truly believe that you're accepted, you have freedom from what people think about you. It's not based upon how successful you are in people's eyes. One thing over the last 17 years I've loved uh, leading this church, it doesn't matter what people think about the size of this church. We haven't always been this size. In actual fact, most of our existence, we were anything but this size. And as a result of not being the it in a bit, and not being the, 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 the church that's on the move, we were overlooked and ignored, and that was fine by me. Because I had a knowledge that I was accepted even when others rejected me. That's the power of Christ. And on my darkest day, I have this intimate knowledge that I'm accepted. That's where the power is. That's where the freedom is. That's where the peace is. That's where the joy is. When you believe what Jesus says about you. We have lived for many years as a church and and me as a senior leader in anonymity. Very few people even knew who we were. Even now I say, Victor, where's that? There's a man who leads a very large church in Australia and, and he invited some people from around Australia to go to his house, young pastors to his house. He invited two from South Australia. Of those two, I was not one of them. This gentleman doesn't even know I exist. And I remember having to think about this moment. Why did I not get invited and they did? And to be able to come with this knowledge, this absolute peace, this absolute conviction that it doesn't matter. To be so comfortable with anonymity is the sweetest thing. When you have the true, real deal Jesus, you learn to know what you can live without. I don't need the praise of men. I don't need the praise of the Christian community. I don't need that because I've been accepted in the beloved and the beloved is Christ. And I think that's what journey we're all on. God is trying to get us to a place where to show us we don't need that. That brand new home that you're struggling so hard to buy. You actually don't need it. Not that there's anything wrong in those things, but when we go after them for the wrong reason, there's something wrong. Something's out of kilter. But when you know that you've been accepted, it's sweet. When you know you've been called. My confidence to stand up here as an ordinary, unschooled person who was not chosen by the majority. I mean, I remember being at Bible school and I was the kid at the back of the class eating lollies and throwing lollies at the idiots who were just sitting there. I just, just kind of, just, just got me riled up. I'd be sitting there like, spit in Bible class. And I'd have these people looking at me thinking, young man, could you please stop that? We're here to learn. We don't know why you're here. 
to date, I'm the only guy I know leading a church out of that whole group. Where does my confidence come from? Spitballs. No. This absolute knowledge that goes beyond my mind and deep within my spirit and heart that I've been called to do what I do. That I can go away from this place and go to different parts of the world to minister and hear great reports here and not get insecure about, oh, I wonder if I'm still needed. I've been called. Doesn't matter what other people think. We have lived for years without the approval of people, without the endorsement of certain pastors or movements. We've lived with that. And I I come to the conclusion, I'm fine without certain approval of men. And that's exactly where Christ wants me. Because I'm accepted. I'm called, I'm gifted, I'm talented. I have bad days, I let myself down. But it's got nothing to do with what God says about me. He doesn't change His Word. I do some stupid things. Wasn't that long ago, about a year ago, I had to stand up and apologise to everyone for using certain language from the pulpit. Stupid things. Letting the moment get the better of me. Oh, you call yourself a pastor. No, I don't. God does. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. No, I don't. God does. He calls me a son. He calls me beloved. He calls me the apple of my eye. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter if I don't measure up to your standard. I measure up to the standard that Christ set because I'm no longer my own. My life is wrapped up and found in Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm blood washed. I'm a son of the living God. I'm an heir to the throne. Co-heir with Christ. Do you believe that? If you don't believe this, there's nothing I or God can do for you. There's nothing. I do not believe the sovereignty of God is going to override your free will. You have a choice. Will you believe the Word of God? Or you, will you believe the doctor? Will you believe your mum or your dad, your brother or your sister? Who do you think you are? Do you know how many times I've heard that? Who do you think you are? And I've left out a few expletives that go with that comment. And I remember one day I was, on, I, was, I was at my wit's end. I'm thinking, God, have I lost the plot? And I'm reading the Word of God. And I'm reading an account of Jesus. And they said of Jesus, who do you think you are? Six months after we got married, I was so in love with God and wanted so much more of God. Within six months of being married, We lost all of our friends. That was your moment. Uncompassionate lot you are. And do you know what I learned through that moment? You know what God taught me through that moment? 
the very people I thought I needed, the very approval I craved, the feedback I sought after from those people. I learned something. I don't need it. I don't need it. When we planted our church, it was like we planted a cult. <laughs> Nobody was saying anything good about this church starting. Those who, most, of us, most people didn't even know we existed. But of the few that did know we existed, they had nothing good to say about it. It was deemed a cult. It was deemed a split. It was deemed Tony's rebellious band of whatever. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't touch me. We can plant a church without the approval of man. God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, you know what? You single ones that are craving and sleeping around and trying to date every person in the youth group, stop it. You don't need that. They will not complete you. There's no one in the youth group that will complete you. The only person that will complete you is Christ Himself. You don't have to feel more of a man because you've got a girlfriend. When Jesus hung upon the cross, people mocked Him and ridiculed Him and said, if you say you're the Son of God, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Saviour of the world, why don't you come off that cross and prove it? But Jesus stayed on the cross proving He was the Messiah. They were basically saying, take the easy route to prove you're the Messiah. He said, no, I'm going to take the hard way and prove I'm the Messiah. How does that flesh out for us today? It looks like this. Hey, why don't you sleep around if you're a real man? But when we don't sleep around, we prove ourselves to be a real man. That's where it's at. Anyone can sleep around with anyone. Anyone can do that. But to be this good looking and say no to a woman, that... Anyone can do that. But to draw a line in the sand is, I'm not doing that. Thus proving we're Christians. That's where it's at. It's being able to do what you can't normally do in your own strength, but doing it anyway, thus proving there's something greater in me. Then we prove ourselves to be Christians. When you become a Christian, people should notice the change. You used to be mad, used to be sad, used to be this, you used to be that, but now you're different. Yes, I know, because there's something going on on the inside of me. I can't quite explain it. All I can do is give glory to God because He's making me more of a peaceful person. He's making me more of a joyful person. He's making me more of a forgiving person. I know this isn't the old Tony. There's something going on on the inside of me. And that's why Paul says, I only have one boast and it's my boast in Christ. I've been around long enough to have done some good things. And Kath and I in our marriage, we've just displayed some good qualities and we've, we've done some good things and we've involved in some good things. But we know us. We know us. And the only boast I have is this. 
Thank you, Jesus. To be in the same church for 17 years, being as impatient as I am by nature. Is there any impatient people out there? I am so impatient. It is not a natural virtue to be patient for me. I want everything, I want it now. And yet I have this track record of patience. And I look back at my life and think, how the heck did that happen? Because, you know, you leave outside of Jesus, I, I revert back to what I was. It's not like I, I've dealt with that impatient thing. I, I haven't. You take Jesus out of my equation, I become the nastiest, ambitious, impatient man there is. And I know that. I live with that today. And you have this track record of patience. And I get on my knees Sometimes, literally, sometimes just in my spirit, I just say, God, I want to thank you. Because this patience I've displayed is not me. It's you. Hence, we proved ourselves to be Christians by a legacy we leave. If my life is just littered with selfishness and selfish ambition and, and anger and bitterness, just littered... Where's Christ in that? What do you believe? Do you believe that you are forgiven of your sins? Because do you believe the blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything you've ever done? Oh, I do. I do. And there are some dark days and I look at my stupidity of my sin. And if I dwell on that, it's all over but I hold it up against the blood of Jesus. And there's something about the blood of Jesus that eats my problems up, eats my past up. And I start to realize I'm forgiven. And because you've forgiven me, I'm gonna forgive myself. Oh, there's a lot of people who haven't forgiven me yet, but it's their issue. Oh, there's lots of people who are waiting for an apology from me. There's lots. Every Port Adelaide supporter in here is waiting for an apology from me. It's not coming. It ain't coming. It's not coming. It's not coming. You let me down yesterday. I tipped you and you're flipping lost. Useless. Oh, there's a lot of people. Wow, when's he going to apologize? And I walk around. I'm free. I'm free. Because God has forgiven me. Because I've forgiven me. And then I find forgiveness for those who haven't forgiven me. It's just the sweetest thing. It's just the sweetest thing. It's the kind of freedom that God wants us to live in. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, I know what it is to be in need. This is Paul speaking. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Paul says, I've learned to be all things or content in all things. Because he's learned the power of Christ. He didn't learn the power of things. 
Because if you only got the power of things, when you ha- don't have the things, you have no power. Paul says, I've had things and I've not had things. I've had clothes and I've not had clothes. I've had food and I've not had food. But I've learned to be content. Because there's one who's greater in me. And this is why we have to read our word. Not to cross off our little checklist. Not to please God, but to feed your spirit. To feed your mind. Because every time you watch television, your mind is being fed. And it's usually with rubbish. It's usually with homosexuality, sex before marriage. Treat your mum and dad with a bad attitude. That's what your brains are getting washed with every day you watch television. Every day you go to work or universities, you're getting washed with evolutionary thinking. And we have to go to the Bible to wash our hearts and our word and our minds again. And you can do that on an iPad, even if it is the old one. goes on to say in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4, and my God, this is his conclusion, will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He said, I've got no money. It's not according to your riches. It's not according to your bank balance. It's not according to your clothes. It's not according to your self-worth. It's according to his riches. And if God called you, he will finance you. When we, when we moved into this building, I want to tell you, we got there, praise God. But we got there just. This is how it felt in the natural. Outside of God, it felt like this. Three more weeks, I'm in a mental institution and Pete's dead. <laughs> Which given the option, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> That's how it felt. You think, oh, you're a great storyteller. No, no, I'm telling the truth. That's how it felt. What got us over the line to to, to not give up, to not give in? It wasn't dwelling on that thought because those thoughts came. It's going back to the Word of God and saying, God, you called me. You know I didn't want this. This is not something that we're on an ego trip. I said a bit stronger one Sunday and someone didn't like that. I had to kind of repent of that one. But this is not an ego trip for us. This is us responding to the best way we know how to what we feel God is calling us to and it feels like it's killing us, God. And in those moments of weakness, I felt God say, and what are you going to do with that? And I felt so weak at times. I felt all I've got is to come to you and God says, good, that's all you need. That's the right answer. And you know what I found in those moments of weakness? Great strength. In those moments of frustration, great peace. In those moments of unhappiness, great joy. Thus proving God's word to be true. You act on it, it proves to be true, then you get more faith. You act in faith, but then your faith grows because it comes to pass. And now many, many people, many of you have joined since that moment, since those, those just got their days. 
and you walk into this and this is awesome. Yes. By God's grace, it's awesome. Let me close with this thought, which means I didn't get to anything really, did I? But I think I've said something, yeah? Question I want to finish with is the one I started with. Do you believe God's Word? And if you don't, then you are really questioning the integrity of God. See, this is not blind faith, just trusting in trust's sake. This is not blind faith. This is not faith that says we're looking for a black hat in a dark room with a blindfold on that does not exist. This is not that kind of faith. Because true Christian faith is based on God's integrity. Let me explain it this way. If Riley says to me, Tony, I'll see you at the prayer meeting. And I take him at his word. It says more about his integrity than my faith in his word. Yeah? It says Riley's a man that doesn't lie. It says Riley's a man that can be trusted. It says I've watched his life and it's worth putting my trust in him. Riley will be there. It says more about his integrity than my faith. When I say I believe that I'm called because God said it, It says more about God's integrity than my faith. See what religion has done with Christianity? It makes it all about us. Oh, you're such a great man of faith. It's got nothing to do with me. The Bible says it this way. Even the faith that I have for faith is given by God. I would have no chance at all of believing if it wasn't for God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about God. This man, Peter, who has a because you say so moment, opens his life up to many things. But he's human like us and he has his bad days again after that moment. One of them, probably the worst day of his life, three times he denies Christ. Oh, he was never going to do it. In his own strength, I'm never going to do that. How many of you said, I'll never do that again? I've looked at our kids when they apologise. I'll never do it again. I said, kids, give yourself a break. You probably will. Let's just keep it real. I, I wouldn't want you to live under that pressure. I'll never do it again. By God's grace and relying on Him and looking to Him, we trust you never will. But for you to think, I'm going to be so strong. And let's face it, even if we manage not to do that thing again in our own strength, we replace it with something else. Like the smoker who never smokes. God bless them. But now they're addicted to chewing gum or lollipops or something else. Never cease to amaze when these guys say, oh, are you Christians? With their beer in their hand. That's a beer. Can't you tell? Got beer written all over it. Oh, are you Christians? Just a bunch of wimps. Just need Jesus as a crutch. 
Get me another beer. We all need a crutch. It could be a power thing. It could be an alcohol thing. It could be a tobacco thing. It could be a drug thing. Or it could be a Jesus thing. It's going to be something. Don't kid yourself. I don't have a crutch. I'm so strong. I don't have a crutch. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Let me get back to my point. It's one of those days. Give me interrupting myself. Peter, I'll never, ever disown you. Even if all they do, obviously all the disciples, even if all them, wimps, I'll die with you, Jesus. And Jesus, really? Guess what? Unlike, you're right, you're not like them. You're right. You are going to deny me three times. Imagine Peter at that moment. This is how I read the Bible. He just dubbed all the other disciples in. What are the other disciples doing? <laughs> sucked in. It's a sucked in moment. Is that how you read the Bible? That's what I see. I see these guys going, sucker. Initially, I was, oh, what? Peter, I can't believe it. Do that. Dumb. And then Jesus says, you're going to die me. I'm like, sucker, sucked in. Teacher Peter, you're stupid. That would never happen. That's the Bible. It's human nature, people. You get 12 guys together and one guy dobs the other 11 in and then he gets told off for doing it. You've got a serious sucker moment. Maybe that's why you don't read the Bible because it's boring for you because you don't read that into it. Anyway, Peter says, no, I'm never going to do that. Never, never. Not me, not me, not me, not me. Opportune time comes. Bunch of guys, Jesus has been arrested, Peter's around a fire, bunch of guys. Hey, your accent. You're not from around here. No, 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 no. One. Moves over somewhere else, warms himself at another fire. Hey, haven't I seen you with Jesus? No, 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 no. Got one more strike to go. He goes over to another, and there's a little girl. Tough Peter, tough fisherman Peter. Can't even stand up to a little girl now. This little girl goes, hey, mister. <laughs> That's what all little girls do. Hey, mister. I saw you hang around Jesus. And Peter, this is how he responds to a little girl. He starts swearing at her. That's a load of, I've never... Man about life. Come on, people, let the word of God live. This little girl turns big tough Peterman into a piece of just uncontrollable mess. Same guy that said, You are the Christ. Oh. Now he's swearing. Oh no. Let me read something to you. When Jesus, sorry, when Peter disowned Jesus the third time, it says this in Luke 22, verse 61. It's the only account, the Dr. Luke. He's the only one who mentions this little bit. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's not in any other account. 
It says, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And Peter weeps bitterly. He's not only let Jesus down, he let himself down. He's embarrassed himself in front of his mates. And he weeps and weeps and weeps. But here's the thing I want to draw to your attention today. The look of Jesus. When Jesus looked at Peter, this is how the religious, self-righteous person interprets that. Told you so, idiot. That's how religious people interpret everything. Self-righteous. They remove themselves from the story and say, look at Peter. Been a naughty, naughty boy. That's what religious people do and it drives me nuts. Christians see themselves in the story and think, yeah, I'm reading about Peter, but that's me. And if that's me, I want to know what look Jesus had. What look would Jesus give me? What look did Jesus give Peter that day? I don't think it was a told you so look. I don't think it was a frown. I don't think it was Jesus clothing saying, aha, I'm right. Yes. Yes. Right. Me right. Him wrong. That's what religion does. Yes, we made it to heaven and they all went to hell. Yes. Christian doesn't respond like that. I've learned this in leadership. I get more joy out of being wrong these days than right. Because the things I feel for people, if they don't change and I'm right, it equals pain. Oh, but I hope to God I'm wrong. Unfortunately, I'm right more often than not and it breaks my heart. Don't get a lot of section out of being right these days. Hey, listen, mate, if you don't stop that, it's going to mess up your life. You may even end up in jail. It happens and it breaks your heart. You're right. Yay, pastor, right. Very hollow, very shallow. I think the look Jesus gave Peter that day was one that says, come on, mate. I told you about the rooster for your benefit. I think this was the look he was giving. I told you about the rooster for your benefit. I told you about something that was about to happen to show you the integrity of my word. To show you that my word can be trusted. And just as the rooster crowed, just as the rooster crowed, the moment you disown me, not once, twice, but three times, just as the rooster crowed, just like I said, oh, I want to tell you, Peter, there is coming a day where you'll stand up in front of the thousands and you will build my church. Come on, Peter, lift up your head. Don't give in. Don't worry what people think. Don't worry what people say. Get over yourself. Come on. You are called. You are equipped. You are the apple of my eye and you have a place in destiny. Come on, church. Let's stand to our feet. Let's give God praise. Let's tell Him how much we love Him today. He is an amazing God. Oh God, you are good. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.